KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It was August 2021 when the U.S. closed the door on its 20 year war in Afghanistan with a scattershot exit from the country as the Taliban took over. A new three part documentary from PBS's Frontline looks at the war from all angles and examines how things went so wrong. What we wanted to do was use the reporting over the last 20 years to provide context for what you were seeing on August 15th and August 21st of 2021. Martin Smith is a longtime Frontline correspondent who covered the war in Afghanistan, and he is one of the producers of America and the Taliban. Now, the first episode in the Three Doc series was released this week. The other two episodes will be coming later in April on PBS. I'm Matt Leon, and in this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth, we look back at the U.S. war in Afghanistan and learn about America and the Taliban. Did this project start as on-the-ground reporting and then graduate into a documentary, or was kind of always the goal to take this big-picture look at the, the war in Afghanistan? The It was the latter. I mean, the idea was to go in after we saw the collapse and the disaster and the people rushing to the airport and people falling off the airplanes as they tried to escape Afghanistan. We decided it was time to go back in. But what we wanted to do was use the reporting over the last 20 years to provide context for what you were seeing on August 15th and August 21st of 2021. So it was, the idea was to to make a, a big film about the whole 20 years. How many interviews, how many people talked to, how many hours of footage, like this is a wide ranging project. It was a big project and I'm going to miss it actually. Uh, it, it was my life for, for over a year and a half. And um, I would say there were scores of interviews, uh, both in Washington, in Afghanistan, with the Taliban, and in Doha, where negotiations went on for over 10 years to to come to some kind of peace agreement. How many hours of footage did we film? Uh, That's, you know, I can't calculate that, but it was, uh, you know, from here to the moon. This will be shown in three parts. Is each part a continuation on the last, or is there a kind of a separate focus of each episode? Well, we tried to make each episode something that you could watch without having seen the others, but it is a it follows a chronological timeline. The first episode takes you from 2001 up until uh, around 2010, and the second episode 2010 to 2015, and then the third 2016 to the debacle and into the first year and a half of the Taliban's rule. So it does cover that. And and there are lots of uh, flashbacks to earlier reporting. So yes, overall, it's a contiguous timeline, but there's a, 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 you know, we, we played with that in a number of places. What was the biggest question you had going into this project about the U.S., the invasion, the staying there for 20 years? What was your biggest question? You know, it... it... It, first of all, getting my head around the sort of shape of the war and when the war was at its peak and what was happening as we tried to withdraw, getting the, the sort of narrative of the war. It wasn't just continuous war throughout. In fact, as you know, very early on, we were distracted by the war in Iraq and we pulled a lot of resources out of Afghanistan. We didn't really engage the Taliban in any fully resourced way until 2009, eight years after 9-11. And then we did that 
at the same time announcing we were going to get out. What question did I have overall? It was really whether or not there was ever a uh, a winnable war in Afghanistan. And, and I, my conclusion is that it was not, uh, that we, unless we were going to stay there forever uh, and create a colony, you weren't going to defeat the Taliban. The Taliban are there on the ground, are from Afghanistan, have a legitimacy there that we can't match, that, that the US and NATO can never match. And so it was really, my question was whether or not any of this could have ever worked and how it was that People persisted in the belief that we could achieve a kind of Western-style democracy in Afghanistan. Was it good faith? I think we can do it. Was it self-delusion on our part? Was it we just kind of muddled along? It, we hit a certain point where you would probably get five different answers from five different generals of what, what we're doing and why we're there. And we just kept going because the alternative was an anathema to the people in charge. Yeah. I mean, they're good points. It's a lot of all of that, but the overall mission was to take out Al Qaeda and, and uh, kill Osama bin Laden. We achieved that. And then we went on nation building in the country thinking that we had to do that or Al-Qaeda could come back. And that's where I think we lost our way. And I think a lot of uh, military leaders, certainly a lot of soldiers on the ground, Marines would agree with that. And while we applied a lot of energy and people gave their lives tragically to this um, mission, it was an impossible mission. You know, as long as Pakistan was supporting them and providing sanctuary and material and money, it's hard to see how the United States could establish a you know a government there and have that have that last because the Taliban were resourced and the Taliban were going to continue to peck away uh, here and there and you know by 2015 after 14 years of war they took a provincial capital in the north and it, 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 the writing was on the wall if and it wasn't if it wasn't evident then I mean it should have been evident uh, and it was to many in the military and to officials in the White House. But they're answering to political imperatives at home that we can't just walk away. In the end, we did just walk away. The Afghan government that we tried to support, was there ever any hope? Were there flashpoints where a decision could have helped them more? Or were they just too feeble, too corrupt, too connected to the Taliban, even if they said the right things, that it there was never a path forward for, you know, a government led by the likes of Hamid Karzai and such. I think they weren't connected enough to the Taliban. I think had they sort of put their arms around a broader swath of the sort of polyglot uh, nation of Afghanistan, the government uh, might have had uh, more of a chance of surviving. But the fact is the Taliban were shut out. They're a large group within Afghanistan. And two-thirds of them, of Pashtuns, live outside in Pakistan. So it was impossible for Pakistan not to support the Taliban. And Pakistan made the bet that the Americans were going to leave. So, well, let's throw our lot in with the Taliban. And, and I think that there was never really much chance that that government could hold on. There was too much corruption, as you mentioned. There was too much division. I mean, this is something like Yugoslavia with all these different ethnic groups vying for power. And there was no, Karzai was no Tito that was holding it all together. It was a, it was a mess of uh, warlords, militias, and others all vying for power locally. The government really never controlled much more than 
Kabul and, and a few provincial capitals outside of Kabul, but never really a broad swath of the countryside was under their control. How many of the mistakes made in Afghanistan mirror mistakes made in Vietnam? And when I say that, what I mean is our lack of understanding the local culture, understanding what was important, and our constant focus of looking through things through the eyes of Western democracy and thinking that that's the only way forward. Are there any echoes you think back to Vietnam? Totally. I think that it echoes Vietnam very, very much. I mean, somebody could say, well, there's this difference and that difference. But overall, it was hubris on the part of Americans to think that we could achieve what we set out to achieve, both in Vietnam and in Afghanistan. And, and the military tactic, the first one that was applied mostly under President Obama of counterinsurgency was a tactic that had a mixed record in, in Vietnam. And here we are thinking that we could do it in Afghanistan. And in Afghanistan, we didn't even put enough troops in to come up to the level that the textbooks that the military has spent years writing on counterinsurgency said were required. We would have had to pour in three or 400,000 troops to, um, as, as, as one of uh, my interviewees said, to calm that country down. But we put in 100,000, I think, was at the peak, maybe 110. We need to take a break. We will have more with Martin Smith right after this. This is K. KYW News Radio In-Depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation with Martin Smith, one of the producers of the documentary America and the Taliban. Was there anything in putting this together you learned that surprised you, either in a good or a bad way? I've covered the country for 20 years. I'm not sure that there was anything. I was more interested in simply telling the story and bringing to light the things that I have learned over the years. The Taliban are uh, duplicitous and but very cunning and 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 very persistent. I knew that already, but this was an opportunity. In the past, I'd always covered the war from the U.S. and NATO side. It was hard to go inside and cross battle lines and talk to Taliban. So this was an opportunity to talk to the Taliban up front uh, in person. I was surprised by their dismissal of good governance as a good policy. I had a conversation with the governor of Helmand in the South. And I said to him, you know, there's a lot of people complaining here. They're unhappy. There are no jobs. Women are very unhappy with the restrictions that are put on you. There's no good health care in the country. And what do you say to that? And he blithely just responded. And you'll see this in the documentary. He says, well, we don't care about those things. And then he looked off camera. I mean, they find it very easy. And of course, it's cheap to issue another edict. You know, men have to can't cut their beards or their pant lengths have to be of a certain length. Uh, women can't go out without a escort. Music is banned. Homosexuality is punishable by death. All these sort of things can be put into place and it doesn't cost them anything. Whereas fixing the roads would cost them a lot, but that's what people need and that's what people want. So I was surprised, you know, one Taliban leader was asked about kids that were starving. And he said, well, that's up to God to figure out how to fix that. That's not our, that's not our responsibility. Is there any scenario, given what you just said and how many of those views are abhorrent to so many people in the West, is there any kind of scenario where the West could have worked with the Taliban that would have eventually worked, you think? I'm a skeptic when it comes to that. I mean, 
We went through this exercise in Iran where we thought we were dealing with the moderate uh, branch of them. And I suppose you could come up with a a plan to sort of uh, make deals with moderate Taliban. And and we've tried that. But the Taliban are going to have to work out their own internal differences and come to the world stage with a government that is more unified and more willing to to deal. There are Taliban leaders who are more moderate than other Taliban leaders. And, you know, we are trying to deal with some of those currents. I mean, ironically, the Haqqani network, which was a major branch of the Taliban, was among the most prolific in its use of suicide bombs and most lethal overall. But they actually favor girls' education. So th- that's a that's an irony. In the South, the Taliban in Kandahar are the most intransigent and the most... Uh, committed to seeing through their experiment in Islam, as they see it, uh, whereby, you know, listening to Mozart is a sin. I had a conversation with one Taliban leader, and I said, what harm do you see? I mean, I understand why you might not want young people to be listening to um, to some rock and roll music that you see as music of the devil, but do you even want to ban Mozart? They're just intransigence. They just are they they have this idea that if they follow this prescription that that their mullahs have come up with in interpreting in interpreting Islam that they will create their own utopia. You used the word debacle early in our conversation talking about the final US pullout in 2021. Was there any scenario where it's not a debacle? I think a lot of the coverage of the pullout kind of didn't give the context that a lot of this was set in motion like a year earlier and who the U.S. was dealing this with with the Taliban who kind of allowed the U.S. to leave without attacking, but it was on a the clock was ticking. Like, was there any way this didn't end the way it ended? Well, you raise a good point about how this was um, this script was written a year before the debacle that you saw at the airport in August of 21. And that was in Doha when the instructions given by President Trump to his chief negotiator, Ambassador Zalmay Khalilzad, was to get the U.S. out and to get the U.S. uh, out quickly. And, you know, Trump's idea was that this was a lost mission. Uh, We'd already killed bin Laden. Let's just get out. And, you know, that's that's a reasonable approach. But it it was sort of based on the idea that somehow the Afghan government that we had backed would stand up to the Taliban in spite of all the corruption that we knew permeated the uh, the ranks, in spite of uh, the fact that many of the soldiers began defecting to the Taliban once they saw what was negotiated in, in Doha, Qatar. They saw the writing was on the wall. So I think that could it have been, I mean, it was it was all wrongheaded to think that somehow that government was going to stand up with the army they had. It was rife with corruption. It was weak. The morale was bad. And many of the soldiers were deserting. There was an amazing, like every year they lost one third of the forces uh, from desertion or people would make enough money and they'd go home and, and feed their children. And then we'd have to bring in a lot more and train more. It was an impossible army to stand up. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.